The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. So I want to start with a, a question that might seem a little strange, but hopefully you can relate. Have you ever internally caught yourself red-handed? You know what it means to be caught red-handed, like you just, whoops, guilty. Yep, there it is. Have you ever caught yourself internally red-handed? This is what I mean. There's a moment of clarity where you, you saw yourself, you saw your heart in how you reacted to something, and you kind of winced at it, and you went, oh, that's not good. That's, that's ugly. Have you ever had that moment where you, you kind of, I don't want to say surprised, but maybe a little surprised, and, and you saw it for a moment, and you... And you Kind of were disgusted by it. Here's maybe a few examples. You're on, you're on edge all day, right? You're rough. You ever had that day? You're a little snappy at people. You realize you're deeply anxious, worried, again, about something that might not happen. And you just think, is this how I'm supposed to live my days? Um, I don't want to be like this. Or you're pouting. You ever caught yourself pouting? We're supposed to be over that after what, age, uh, age four, but sorry, folks, right? We still pout. We, we get grumpy. We get, pa- we get passive. We're, we're not responding. We're moody because we don't like the way somebody treated us or how something went through. You ever caught yourself pouting? Like, what am I doing? Do I, I don't want to be like this. Or uh, anger just comes out of you like a burp, you know, you, you can't hold it in, you're ah, and everybody in the room is doing, you know, doing one of these, <laughs> better duck, they're angry again, and maybe you're not throwing stuff, but you're saying stuff, and you know, everybody else has a face like, here it comes. You ever caught yourself internally, red-handed, you're like, ah. I don't want to be like this. Or you're frustrated. Somebody makes a mistake and you just have to be condescending. You have to place blame. You have to stick them in the ribs. You have to shake your head as if you've never done anything like that and never would. You ever caught yourself doing that? Not showing any grace? Or you see that image again and everything in you wants to lust and you know where that road leads. But you want it so bad. And you think, gosh, what, what have I become? I've caught myself many times. And I think, I think when we do this, we tend, to, we tend to bury it, don't we? Just let's pretend that didn't happen. Uh, and sometimes I wonder if we don't use one of these two excuses. Like, why was I pouting? Why was I angry? Well, we blame it on our circumstances. It's as if, uh, you know, if, if all these things weren't happening, then I wouldn't be this way. Uh, C.S. Lewis had this illustration that's just damning, really. He says, if you go to the basement and turn the, right, the lights on real quick and see the rats, they're scurrying away. Turning the lights on didn't make the rats there. They just showed you that the rats were already there. It's kind of like that with our character and circumstances. Oh, it's because of all these things that are happening. That's why this is coming out of me. No, no, no. That was, it was already in you. And the circumstances are just showing you what's there. 
We blame it on our circumstances. Sometimes we blame it on our makeup. Have you ever just said, hey, that's just who I am? It's just who I am. And in America in these days, boy, that's the get out of jail free card, right? It's just who I am. It's how I feel. Oh, okay. Are you content with that, though? What would it be like to honestly be filled with the fruit of the Spirit to where you were loving organically, it came out of you, that you had God's, God's character growing out of you. Imagine being an honestly loving person from the heart, ready to generously give of yourself for the sake of others all the time, and that's who you were. Can you imagine the strength of what that would look like? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Or can you imagine being joyful? Joy doesn't mean, hey, when I have good situations, I'm happy, and when I have bad situations, I'm sad. Anybody can do that. Joy is, I'm satisfied in God all the time. And yeah, hard things disappoint me for sure. And, and beautiful things um, make me happy for sure. But I've got something deeper than any of that. I've got Jesus, and I'm joyful all the time. Can you imagine being like that? Or how about peace? We spend billions of dollars looking for peace. Can you imagine having a deep sense of stability and wholeness and strength, no matter what life brought, it's, it's, it's who you were. You had peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Is this even possible? Can you be a peaceful person, a loving person, a joyful person? What would that be like? Well, we've been spending some time in a series we've been calling Save Two, and we're thinking of the life God has for us as Christians, and this morning we're in Galatians 5, and we see that we are saved to walk by the Spirit. We're saved to walk by the Spirit, and really this is an epic passage, it's a famous passage. I'm going to spend a couple weeks in here because uh, I just can't, we can't get enough out of it in one morning. Just a teeny bit of background, the church in Galatia had, uh, this is Paul's letter to the Galatians. The church in Galatia had some issues. I want you to look at what he had to say to them in verse 15. Hope you follow along with me in your Bibles. We're on page 975. Look at Galatians 5:15. What does Paul have to say to them? If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. <laughs> if you bite and devour one another, watch out you're not consumed by one another. What does that tell you about this community that he has to say that? They're eating each other alive. And I don't think that's literally, right? Um, it's, it's, it's their words. It's their attitudes. So this is, there's incredible irony, I think, because this church is predatory in how they're treating one another. But they're also super religious. And they're so excited about the law. They love the rules of God. And, and what this shows us is, for all their religion, it had not touched their character. It had not hit their hearts. Going to church, trying to keep the rules, doesn't change your character. It just changes the variety of your sin. Now you're self-righteous. 
Nothing has changed. The sin just looks different. But in this passage, Paul says, oh, there's a key. Everything could change with this. So I'm going I'm to be working out the slide booth today with these overheads. But I want to show you this one. Look at these three statements, verse 16, verse 18, verse 25. What does Paul say? But I say, number one, what? Walk by the Spirit. He's in you. He's with you. Walk by his power. Verse 18, what does he say? Be led by the Spirit. So uh, hear what he's saying. Listen to him. Go with him. Verse 25, keep in step with the Spirit. This is the idea of uh, marching in a line. He's first. You're submitting to him. You're going where he's going. You're doing what he's doing. But what's the key to character change? He doesn't say, hey, guys, just try harder. He does not say that. He says, connect yourself, or really, realize the connection you have with who? The Holy Spirit of God. So the apostle is working very hard to motivate them towards the real way, the only way, the powerful way to truly live the Christian life. This is a huge deal. This is really the, this is, this is fundamental for what it means to live what we're saved to. So I'm not going to get into a lot of the fruits this morning. We're going to save that for later. This morning I want you to see the big picture of the passage, how it works. Um, and so I have these four points for you. First of all, Paul's trying to motivate the church to walk by the Spirit. So do this, and here's why. So there's three major reasons to do this. Number one, the Spirit is your life. Number two, there's a war you're in, and you can't win it without him. And number three, the Spirit gives you the grace of God. So number one, he's your life. Number two, there's a war you're in, you can't win without him. Number three, walk by the Spirit, because that's where grace is grace, okay? And then our fourth point today is going to be, well, how do you do this? I want to think with you about how to do it, because I don't know about you. I've heard that I should do it a million times, and I don't always understand how. So three reasons to do it. Last point would be some thoughts on how. So the first reason, walk by the Spirit, because this is your life. Look at chapter 5, verse 25. Paul sums up his argument here with, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the reason to keep in step with the Spirit is because we live by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, this is your life. Let's just think... um, what we know as Christians about the Spirit. We know, we know God is triune, right? One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are the same in essence and glory. Um, they are different in person. They're distinct in role, what they do for us in our salvation. So, for instance, we know that the Father ordains salvation. He has said, I'm going to save you. Let's do this. We know that the Son accomplishes your salvation. He came, lived a perfect life in your place, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead in victory. So he has accomplished your salvation. What does the Spirit do? You could say the Spirit applies your salvation, enables your salvation. He takes what the Father has ordained and what the Son has accomplished and makes it real in you. 
So really, you could look at your life in the Spirit, past, present, and future. This is your life. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So, so what has to happen for you to enter the kingdom? You have to be born again by the water and the spirit. And with that phrase, Jesus is looking back to the prophet Ezekiel. And these are kind of two aspects on the same reality. Water means you've been cleansed of your sin. You've been washed. So this new birth washes you. And the spirit aspect is now you have new life. You've been given new life in the spirit. You were born. So so here's what we're saying. If you trust in Jesus right now, if I said, all right, do, are you a Christian? Do you trust Jesus? Some of you might say, I'm not sure. We're glad you're here. We're so glad. Keep looking. Keep seeking. A lot of you say, yes, absolutely. Why do you believe in Jesus? And you could, you could look at it from your own perspective. Well, he's awesome. I'm a sinner. I need him. Yes and amen. But there's a deeper level. Why do you believe in Jesus? And here's the answer. The Spirit of God came to you and said, wake up, change your heart, open your eyes. If you are a Christian, it's because the Spirit gave you life. You've never been once a, a Christian without the Spirit. This is your life. There he is giving you new life. You could also look at, at our life in the Spirit kind of uh, present. Look at Romans 8, 14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So who is it that are children of God? Those who are led by the Spirit. Who is it that are led by the Spirit? Those who are children of God. Are there any of children of God who aren't led by the Spirit? No. Is there anybody who's led by the Spirit who's not a child of God? No, these things are synonymous. If you're a Christian, guess what you are? Led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. This is life every day. The Spirit is life. You could also say the Spirit is our future life. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Paul says, in him, that's Jesus, in Jesus you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, who? Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you got an inheritance coming. You remember what you inherit as a Christian? It's good. It's good. It makes the lotto look stupid. Really stupid. You're going to inherit the world, Roman says. The world. What's in the world? Yeah. The whole thing. And you're going to get it. The new world, it's yours. You're going to inherit God. So you can just sit under that and go, oh my goodness. God will be your God. You see him, you know him, he's yours. And you have a down payment with you until you get to enjoy the full-on inheritance. Because we're not quite there yet, are we? <laughs> the down payment, the thing is, hey, here's the promise. I promise you're going to get this. The down payment you have is the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And he's going to be with you to take you all the way there to the end. The Holy Spirit will be your life in the future. He's going to get you there. In fact, you're sealed by him. 
So that seal um, identifies and it also preserves. The seal is, hey, marker, you belong to Jesus. He's not letting you go. And the Holy Spirit is the seal of that, his presence with you. Number two, you're going to make it all the way because you have the Spirit. He's going to preserve you. He's going to keep you. Do you see a little bit of how the Spirit is your life as a Christian? Why should you walk daily by the Spirit? Because you live by the Spirit. If you're a Christian, there's no other place to go. There's no other place to look. This is it. Walk by the Spirit. This should, this should be encouraging to us. It should be empowering to us. It should give us focus. How am I going to roll this day? I'm going to walk by the Spirit all the time. This is your life. So I want you to be encouraged. Hey, look, if you're a Christian, even just the shred of faith, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Listen, you have the Spirit. There's no, like, there's no junior varsity kind of, oh, sorry, you're the Spirit-less kind of Christian. I guess we'll let you into heaven, but that's all you get. Um, no spirit for you. Oh, varsity Christian, ah, they have the, no. Every Christian, by grace, through faith, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how weak you feel, you have the Holy Spirit, same one Jesus had, same one Paul had, the full-on, grade-A Holy Spirit is your life. So be encouraged. And then also be challenged. Are you awake to this? This is life. Walk by the Spirit. Number two, second reason to walk by the Spirit. There's a war you are in that you have to fight and you can't afford to lose it and you'll never win it on your own. So you better walk by the Spirit. So look now in your Bibles, 5.16 to 17. I say walk by the Spirit. Why? Why? And you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Why? You won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's the war. Look at verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. So these two, these two realities are not friends. Are you catching that? They are not friends. On one side, the flesh. On the other side, the spirit. And guess which ones lurk in you? Both. Whose team are you on? Let's think a little bit about the flesh. What does this word mean? It's a complicated word. The Greek word is sarx, and it can be used in very different ways. One is very positive, the other is very negative. So the positive way the, use, the word is used just means your body, okay? Your beautiful, wonderful body, that thing that is you that you're sitting in right now. Um, biblically, is the body good or bad? It's good. It's so good. It's so good. God loves the body. He made the body. He's going to give you a new body. You're going to live in a body forever. Humans are meant to be in bodies. We like bodies. That's good. So it is heresies of Christianity that demean flesh as the body. Oh, our bodies are wicked. They hold us back. Let's hurt ourselves. Let's... No, no, no. That's, that's not what the Bible's saying. And that's not how Paul is using the word here. 
The word here means something very different than your body. Think something like this, self-centered inclination. Self-centered inclination where the self becomes ultimate instead of God. So two major aspects of the flesh. One is you're outing God. I don't, I don't like him. I don't want him. I don't want what he says. And then you're upping self. Well, I can do this myself. Okay? And this is, this is sin in its origin. Remember, remember the story, Adam and Eve in the garden. There's the tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, hey, trust me. I'll satisfy you. You got everything good for you. Don't, do, don't eat the tree. That's it. Just don't eat the tree. And the tree means I can do this myself. I don't need God. I'll make up what's good. I'll make up what's evil. I'll be my own God. That's what the tree means. Not any of the tree means I'm surrendered and satisfied to you. You be God, not me. So when they ate of that tree, they said, we'll do this ourselves. Flesh. So think self-centered inclination. Think ditching God. But there's one more aspect to think of. Think pitiful pride. Pitiful pride. Let me show you what I mean here. I really want us to try to understand this idea of flesh. Look at this passage from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Have it on the overheads. Jeremiah 2, verse 11 Look what God has to say to his people. My people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So what's the first thing they did? They had glory. Glory is beauty, value, worth. And they're like, eh, we don't want glory. And what did they exchange glory for? Crap. Vanity. Trash. Oh, I don't want glory. I want trash. And that's why in verse 12, be appalled, O heavens, be shocked, be desolate, declares the Lord. This is unbelievable. Verse 13, my people have committed two evils. How many? Two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So what's the first evil? There's the fountain, cold, cool, and refreshing. I don't want it. Second evil, hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's why the pride is pitiful. Because what are fountains for? Drinking. Are you thirsty? You got thirst, you got deep desires. And it's not just desire, you got needs. You're thirsty. And doesn't it feel good to drink delicious water when you're thirsty? I remember once my wife and I climbed Half Dome. We didn't take enough water. We were just kicking it up on Half Dome for a long time. And then we're like, oh, we don't have water. And we're, we're booking it. It's a bit of a hike. It's hot. It's dry. And we're so thirsty. It's the closest I've ever come to like feeling thirsty. And you finally get to that, you know, those uh, Yosemite rivers. They're just cold and they're clear. And you're finally just like, you know. We're thir- that's your heart. Your heart has needs. You're thirsty. And look at this evil. We looked at the fountain of living water and said, no. But guess what? We still have to drink. We still have needs. And here's the second evil. What do we do? Oh, I'll, I'll feed myself. I'll provide for myself. I'll make a broken cistern. So this really is a picture of sin. You could have drank the best stuff around, and instead you chose a mouthful of sand. What a sin. What have you done? 
This is the flesh. The flesh, in your pride, you want to turn away from God and who he is and what he says. I don't want you. But you still got to drink. You still have needs. You still have wants. And so you enthrone something else in its place and say, oh, if I had this, if I had this. And so it turns pitiful. Do you see this picture of these people so thirsty out in the desert trying to make this dumb, useless well that can't hold water? And there's the fountain over there like, and they're like, no. That's our flesh. And so we're prideful, but we're pitiful. Look at the works of the flesh, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, oh, and things like these, there's more. Each one of these things is that broken cistern. I'm thirsty. But I've, made, I've left God and his fountain and his ways and his truth, so I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to take what's good and I'm going to twist it. I'm going to use it wrongly. I'm going to use it poorly. I'm going to put all my hope in here. When you're angry and it's coming out in selfish rage, you left the fountain. And, and, but you have this need to satisfy this identity desire or this... Um, so this, this longing in these relationships, but, but you're going to have to do it yourself, right? So you're going to make your little cistern, and it's going to come out in your rage. Ah! It's a bite of sand. Pitiful pride. That's our flesh. We, we all have it. Look, the Bible says we all have it. We know one another. We all have it. I've got it. It's lurking. So this, there's moments, there's thoughts, there's attitudes where we're just subtly in my heart, it's like, God, you, you go over there. I can't trust you. You're not enough. Your word's not true. I can't obey you. I got to do this. So I got to look at this, or I got to say this, or I got to feel this, or I got to... Broken cisterns of the flesh. And I say all this because there's a war. What do you have lurking in you? The flesh. Okay, but you've trusted in Christ. So who else is, who, who owns you? Who's your life now? The Spirit. And the Spirit is saying, hey, let's kick some, I got to say this sermon right, sermon way. Let's kick some behind on the flesh. <laughs> let's go kill that thing. That's ugly. I don't like him. He's ruining you. He's denying me. Do you see, you see your choice? The Spirit is now, guess what Jesus calls the Spirit in John. The fountain of living waters. Isn't that interesting? You have the fountain in you, with you, through Christ. You have the spirit, but there's also some sandy, uh, muddy wells, and you're still real tempted to go have a lick. The flesh. And they're fighting. The flesh is like, no, you can't trust the spirit. He's not enough. You got to do this yourself. Come on, do it yourself. Get angry. And the spirit's like, I'm with you. I'm the fountain. Drink. But they're not friends, and you got to fight, right? You got to fight. Walk with the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. So these fleshly desires show up. They do. It's an itch. Don't gratify it. Don't fill it up. Don't give it, don't give it life. 
Don't feed the fire. Don't walk the road. See it. Be like, hey, I know what you are. I'm dead to you. I'm over with that. And now I'm going to walk with the Spirit. Fill me. Satisfy me. Give, me. give me your presence to drink. And don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And listen, two things. Number one, you can do this. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh was fundamentally defeated for you at the cross of Christ. He has been given his mortal wound. He's dying. He's not going to last. Jesus won the battle for you. But he's still kind of kicking around on the way out. And you got to keep kicking his head with the spirit. You got to crucify it. And you can because you've been crucified with Christ. You can, because you have the Holy Spirit. But fight, right? Fight. Fight the flesh. Recognize and fight the flesh. And you can't afford to lose this, this war. Because look at verse 21. It's one of these things we don't like in the Bible. Verse 21, Paul says, I warned you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will what? Not inherit the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, a couple things to see. This word do, I wish the translators, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty safe decision to, to realize this word do actually means practice. Those who practice these things. So aren't you, this is a really, I, I love this word. It doesn't say those who, if you've ever done this once, <laughs> you're done. No heaven for you, wrath of God. It does not say if you've ever done this once, you're out. It also doesn't say if you struggle with these things, you're out. In fact, the whole context is, what are the Galatians struggling with? The flesh. This is for people who struggle with the flesh. So don't think, oh, if I was a real Christian, I wouldn't have to fight. No. If you don't feel like there's a fight in your life, you got to wake up. You're losing. The Christian life is a fight, which means you're going to feel... Everything a fight brings. I don't know if I can do this. I fell down again. No, what, what Paul says is, is those who practice the deeds of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there is a line somewhere, right? If you are of the spirit, if this is your life, you will fight the flesh and you will not practice the deeds. You won't just keep doing it habitually. You're, you're going to fight it. Do you see the difference? Because spirit and flesh, they're not friends. They don't hang out. One of them's going to have the upper hand. Walk by the Spirit. Why, first reason? This is your life as a Christian. Number two, you're in a war. Spirit versus flesh, and you cannot win this war without the Spirit. With the Spirit, you can, and you will, but fight the war. So we see already that walking by the Spirit is not like let go and let God, right? I hear that all the time, all the time, you know, I... Once I had this friend, she was, she was a great Christian friend. I used to work with her in, in Massachusetts. And um, I remember saying to her once, I lived a real busy, hectic schedule then. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, but I got this message, and I have not had any time to prepare or work on it. And she goes, well, it's okay. Just, just trust the Spirit. Kind of like, is that how this works? I'm going to follow the Spirit, so I just kind of like sit on my Jesus easy chair and by osmosis, like, sermons character change. Oh, isn't that what we want? 
We're Americans. We want microwaved food, right? I want to eat now. Zing! Um, I want Christian character now, and I don't want to do anything. Spirit. There are some things where we let go and let God, right? When the, when the Israelites are in front of the, the, the Red Sea, they're going to die. God opens the sea. They didn't do that. But then they still had to walk across. We've been learning as we're saved, too. We've been hearing phrases like, make every effort. You remember that? 2 Peter 1, make every effort. Or Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're not earning our salvation by our efforts. No way. We're just living because we're alive. We're being who we are. You got a war to fight. It's not passive. It's aggressive. That doesn't hinge on you. You're not fighting to earn your salvation. You're fighting with the Holy Spirit to kill your flesh. Walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Third one, third reason to walk by the Spirit. This is where grace is, exchange law for grace. Look at this parallel between verse 16 and verse 18. Verse 23 as well. This is really interesting to me. So verse 16 Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, what? Gratify the desires of the flesh. Then verse 18, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under, what? Law. And then in verse 23, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and then he says, against such things, there is no law. Why did he say that? Why does he need to say, hey, love, joy, peace, patience, against such things, there is no law? I wasn't thinking there was. Really strange. What's going on? For him in Galatians, we have two major enemies, okay? Here's two enemies the Spirit frees us from. Number one is the law. Number two is the flesh, and they're actually kind of related. So what is the law? Anybody know? Christian uh, factoid. What is it? It's God's standard for how you live, right? It's God's standard. And is the law a good thing? Um, don't lie. Good or bad? It's good. It's good. And yet the law is, is your enemy and it kills you. Why does, your, why does the law kill you? Well, because you can't keep it. Because you don't want to keep it. Because of the flesh. So you got two enemies. One is your heart's crooked and the other is the standard of the law that stands over you saying, guilty. Worthy of judgment. The Spirit frees us from both of these things by the grace of God in Christ. Look at Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Through Christ, the spirit applies your salvation from the law and from the flesh. This is how it works. Jesus fulfilled the law, right? He came and took on flesh, and he lived a perfect life. He met the standard, and he gives that to you. Through faith. He, so, so when God looks at you, you're in Christ. You're righteous. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law on the cross. So when he took upon God's wrath that we deserve, he earned our forgiveness. 
And of course, he gave us new life in the resurrection. And so we are adopted now. Do you see that? We're adopted. We're not slaves anymore. We're adopted into the family. And our hearts cry, Abba, Father, we have his grace now, father to child, that saves us from the law. You ever feel guilty, condemned, you didn't do it right, again? God must be angry. You haven't kept the standard. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. God must not love you. You, didn't do your, you haven't done your devotions in a week. God doesn't love you anymore. You're not meeting the law. The Spirit comes and says, no, you're not under the law. That's not even over you anymore. You're dead to that. There's no condemnation for you. Jesus kept the law. God looks at you like you have always done devotions like Jesus did. You're totally out from under that. If you don't do this, and for some of you, you don't even believe this. You don't even believe this. The culture's given you standards. You're trying to reach up to them. Maybe your parents gave you standards. You could, never, you could never attain it. And there's always lurking in you. I'm just not good enough. God's probably pissed. He probably hates me. And this text is saying, no, you are free from the law. There is no overwhelming condemnation looking at you going, mm. there isn't anything like that anymore. You're out from under it. You are loved. You're not guilty anymore. Isn't that fantastic? You're not under law. And think of how flesh and law work together. When we're living in the flesh, the law is like this burden, right? I want to do this sin, and God says no, and I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm carrying this. We're also set free from the flesh in the sense that the Spirit is changing our hearts so that we want to start doing the law. It becomes a joy to us. We prefer it. And so there's no longer this external, better keep the rules. Instead, there's an internal, I love God, I want to be like him. He's my father. Abba, father, I love you. Make me like you. Change me. So you're, you're free from the law. You're free. You're out from under the flesh. So in the spirit, you rest in grace. And so even, you know, Paul says when he talks about flesh, he calls it the works of the flesh. What's a work? For Pauline thinking in Galatians, it's mean I got to earn something. I got to do it. I got to make it happen myself. Then when he talks about life in the spirit, does he call them, and the works of the spirit are, does he call them works? No. What does he call them? Fruit. Do you create fruit? It's by grace. It just grows out of you. You're free from this earn. I got to earn. I got to protect. I got to build. I got to make it. If I don't, I won't. You're free. You're under grace. God has done this for you in Christ. You're under grace. You're loved. You're okay. You have what you need. And so now instead of creating works, well, you cultivate fruit. You cultivate it. God's the one who makes it grow He's the one who causes it to grow, cultivate it. And by the way, it teaches us to be patient, right? How many of you, you got a little plot in our organic garden, you pop the seed in, right? The little kids, you ever planted a seed with a little kid, put the seed in the ground, you put water on it, and he's like, <laughs> come on. And you're like, oh, I got bad news for you. It's not the way it works. It's, it's kind of slow. Actually, you go about your business, cultivate it, let's, let's weed the, let's weed the ground and let's keep watering it, but, but wait for a while, it'll grow. Guess what? Fruit's like that too. 
It's going to grow as you grow in grace. But walk by the Spirit, people. Walk by the Spirit. Why? This is your life as a Christian. Number two, you're in a war. You can't win it without him, but with him you'll win. Number three, this is where we live in grace. You're not under law anymore. You don't have to feed the flesh anymore and create it and earn it. You're under grace. You're under love. God has done everything you need for you. Okay, how? Last one. How? Do we walk by the Spirit? I've heard several of you ask this question. You're like, walk by the Spirit? Great. How? I don't see him there. I can't march behind him. How? He doesn't come to me like some of those TV preachers. You know, God said, ha! I remember a sermon once when I was a kid. Crazy church we went to. The dude's preaching whatever he's preaching, and he actually did one of these numbers. Hold on for a moment. Yes, Lord? Okay, Lord. Yeah, I'll tell him, like he's on the phone or something, you know? And the rest of us are like, hey, can we have Jesus' cell phone number? Um, For me, walking by the Spirit isn't quite like that. What should I do here? Well, I recommend. How how do you walk by the Spirit? And here I'm, I'm putting together what I see in Galatians, but also what we've seen in a lot of different texts as we've been looking at Save 2. Here's my definition. Number one, constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit. So all these verbs, walk, be led by, it's participle, keep going all the time. So you don't walk by the Spirit like for an hour on Sunday and then go kick it on your own. When do you walk by the Spirit? When you're breathing, okay? When you're breathing. The word for Spirit is breath or wind, so just think of it like that, breathing. That's when I walk by the Spirit. Constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit. You remember John 14? The Spirit is our paraclete, our helper, our counselor. He's there. Jesus is with you in the Spirit. So just a knowledge of his presence. The flesh wants to tell you you're alone. You have to do this yourself. The Spirit tells you I'm here. Rely on me. Listen to me. Look for me. Trust me. So this includes, of course, praying, right? Pray without ceasing. Rely on the presence of the Spirit. Constantly rely. Number two, trust gospel promises. The the Spirit might not, you might not have a cell phone number, you know, but he did write you a book. He wrote you a book. And we saw in 2 Peter 1, remember, we We become partakers of the divine nature through his precious promises. That's how we know him. Trust gospel promises, and you'll hear the voice of the Spirit. When you trust, and I say gospel promises because I want want you to remember, Jesus lived for you, died for you, rose for you. Trust gospel promises. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, all of God's promises are yes for you in Christ, every one. And that's where, remember, remember you're thirsty? Remember the fountain? If you don't drink from the fountain, you're going to make your own little sand, sand bite. <laughs> the gospel promises are how you drink of that fountain. I have enough in him. I have enough. Trust gospel promises. So constantly rely on the presence of the Spirit as you trust gospel promises and engage in his power to kill the flesh and cultivate fruit. So what, to make it easy to remember, presence, promises, power. 
rely on his presence, trust his promises, engage his power, what do you do with the flesh? Kill it. What do you do with the fruit? Cultivate it. Let me give you one example. Say you tend to be sharp with people or a certain person. You ever have times, days, moments in your life where you're just, you're like a buzzsaw. Uh, your words, fact, and that's how, especially if you're frustrated or if you're anxious, it's coming sharp, okay? Bam. And you think, gosh, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Gentleness. Again, right, you got you to gotta ante up. Those who practice such things, fits of anger, if you practice fits of anger, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Paul said. So you can't practice this anymore. Load up, right? It's got to kill it. So first you're relying on the presence of the Spirit. Father, help me. Give me your Spirit, right? I need help. Help me remember those moments as you're here. Let's, let's put down the buzzsaw. You're relying on his presence. Then what are you doing? Second part. Trusting gospel promises. You have a gospel promise about gentleness? Look at Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Let's put that up there. What does Jesus say to you? Take my yoke upon you. Come, come right over here. Let's, let's tie up together. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to carry the burden. You just walk with me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am what? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Who, who is Jesus to you? What's he like? He's gentle. When you sin, does he come at you and go, look at God, you stink. Gosh, again? Ugh, I never did that when I was on earth. Hey, spirit people, why do you treat people like that? That's flesh. That's flesh. You, you got your little sand, your little bowl of sand. I'm so awesome, and you're not. You're not drinking. You're not drinking water. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You could come rest with me, Jesus says. You're safe with me. Even when I got to confront you, I'm doing it with my arm around you. Hey, you're my brother. You're my sister. Let's do it like this instead. I love you. So gentleness doesn't mean like doormat. I'm afraid to say anything. No, not at all. Jesus is gentle. Watch how he lives. But he is gentle. And he's gentle with you in the gospel. He died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's got grace for you. So he's gentle. Okay. Gospel promise. If Jesus is gentle with you and you're, you're safe with him, you can rest in him, and you have his fruit now growing in your life. Jesus is gentle. He had the spirit. Now you have his spirit. It's growing in you. What, are, what can you be now? Gentle. And don't just grit your teeth and say, I'm going to be more gentle next time. No, you're not. Look at Jesus and say, you're gentle to me. And rest in his gentleness. And then, as you're relying on the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and now it's time to put it into practice. Engage the power of the Spirit. This is a partnership, right? You're trusting that he's going to help you, but you're also working. You're doing stuff. 
And now you're saying, all right, I got this flesh. I'm prideful. I like to be harsh with people. What are you going to do with that? Okay, your sin can't be one of those shaky chihuahuas in the purse that some of these ladies have. You carry it around, you know, and there it is, shaking. You got to kill it. What is that attitude like? You got to, you don't, you don't just pet it. You got to kill it. I'm not doing this anymore by the power of the Spirit. And then now you're putting it into practice. Kill the flesh, cultivate the Spirit. So there's this person, there's a situation. You tend to be sharp, you tend to be a buzzsaw. Well, now Jesus is humble toward you. He's gentle. You're going to rest in him. And out of that, maybe you, you, maybe you apologize. Hey, I know that at this moment I ran over you. I want you to know I'm sorry. I'm trying to be gentle. And then the next time it comes up, because if you're constantly relying on the Spirit, here's part of our problem. If you just live through your days without constantly relying on the Spirit and then react to something that comes up, flesh. But if you're constantly working on relying on the Spirit as much as you can all the time, when the, when the, when the situation comes up, Spirit's going to be like, all right, here we go. It's coming. I'm with you. You can do it. Let's be gentle. How can I respond gently? I don't know. Do it. Talk gently. Work at it. Ask him, am I being a gentle enough? Could I, how could I be more gentle? You're like, oh, I can't do that. That's humiliating. Remember that pitiful pride? Quit eating at the sand snack bar. Drink from the water. Do you see? One example. Walk by the Spirit, folks. He's our life. He's our victory. In him is the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. We're going to take up our offering. Then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Let's be led by Jesus to the table. He invites us to repent of our flesh and its deeds and then feed by faith on what he's done for us, his body to make us righteous, his blood to give us new life. Let's pray. Father, we want to live by your Spirit. And we just believe your promise that you have indeed sent him to us. We have him here. Lord, if anybody doesn't trust in your son and what he's done, I pray that you just move them toward that. They'd look to you to forgive them, give them new life in you. They'd, they'd see, they'd feel. You love them as their father. You've forgiven them. And God, for all who trust you, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us feel. We have life in you. Um, let us fight this flesh because we can. You've won the war for us on the cross. And, uh, and let us uh, and live out of your grace to constantly rely on you to constantly trust your gospel promises and uh, kill our flesh, cultivate the fruit. We pray you do this in us. In Jesus' name, amen.